Welcome to Fake News, a fiery but mostly peaceful podcast where we dismantle the media misinformation that floods our news feeds all week long. The media tries to mislead you literally every day. Each episode of this podcast will leave you more equipped to correctly interpret the news and spot their deception quicker than before. This is Luke Taylor, your austere religious scholar, who will be your host in this retrospective issue of Fake News. And uh, today, like I said, it's a retrospective. That means I'm not necessarily going to do the weekly roundup of all the different news throughout the week. Um, I want to talk about something that's kind of more of a big picture thing. Although it does actually mostly concern an issue that's been in the news the past couple of weeks. We're going to be talking, in case you didn't see from the title of this show, we're going to be talking about the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse, a trial that should not even be taking place. But we're going to talk about why that is. And I'm going to call this a retrospective because I don't want to just look at how it's been covered by the news this week. I want to talk about the whole situation going back to all the way back to last uh, August when this all started. You know, <laughs> speaking of where this all started, I mean, it's hard to know where to begin when you're doing a retrospective or talking about the historical context of an important event. Um, I mean, when we talk about the Kyle Rittenhouse situation, contextually speaking, we have to talk about it in the context of the Jacob Blake situation. And then there's the whole Black Lives Matter context. There's the whole black policing context. There's the O.J. Simpson context, because I mean, some of this racial strife goes all the way back to issues that were being brought to light back in the 1990s. Um, there's the whole context of the history of American racism. So, so where do you begin when talking about something like the Kyle Rittenhouse situation? So uh, what I'd like to do, sometime I would like to do a retrospective on the whole Black Lives Matter movement and the, the disastrous way that the media covered that, um, which, I mean, and all that started, I mean, that really blew up last year. That was a lot of 2020. It was a lot of 2015 and 2016. I mean, this goes back to, to Trayvon Martin and the beer summit from the Obama years. But I mean, all this stuff, it gets, it's, it's all part of a greater, larger story of what's going on in America over the past few decades. And I won't get into all that today. I'm even going to skip over the Jacob Blake stuff. That's important, but I'm going to skip over even all of that. Jacob Blake, I'll just mention, he was an abuser of women who was violating a restraining order. And then the cops showed up and he got shot by the cops while resisting arrest and reaching for his knife. And he, sur he survived that shooting. He deserves no sympathy, as far as I'm concerned. He survived that shooting. And then, because of his shooting, which was a justified shooting by the police, but because of that, there was a whole eruption of protests in Kenosha, Wisconsin, as part of the greater Black Lives Matter story that had been going on last year. And so, anyway, during those protests, a young man named Kyle Rittenhouse showed up to do a few different things. He was cleaning some of the graf graffiti off the walls that the protesters, the, the so-called mostly peaceful protesters, fiery but mostly peaceful, <laughs> as CNN told us, from Kenosha, Wisconsin, you know, where I get the subtitle of my podcast. It all comes from how the media covered these protests going on in Wisconsin. They called them fiery but mostly peaceful. They actually go on the news and say these are mostly peaceful protests while there's literal burning buildings in the background behind them. And so Kyle shows up. He wants to do a few things. He wants to clean graffiti. 
He's going to provide medical treatment. And I guess he had some sort of medical training. He was a trained firefighter, lifeguard. So he had some, he wasn't like an EMT, but I mean, he had some medical experience. Um, not recommending that you go to these so-called peaceful protests where buildings are burning. I'm not recommending that anyone go to these things, especially a 17-year-old, which Kyle was at the time. But all I'm mentioning is that he was there to do a few things that were that were well-intentioned. Um, okay, he was, he was trying to help people. And he was also trying to help a friend's uh, store protect it from being looted or burned down, which was a common thing going on in that city at that time. And this wasn't just a random city for him. This was about 20 minutes from his home. I think he lived in Illinois, but about 20 minutes away was Kenosha, Wisconsin. That's where his dad lived. So he'd spent a lot of time living in Kenosha or with his mom in 20 miles away in Illinois. And that, that'll all be mentioned later too. But uh, anyway, Kyle's there helping people, protecting property, um, cleaning up the neighborhood. And then some sort of altercation takes place, but a verbal altercation uh, between Kyle and a few other individuals. And he feels threatened, so he begins running away from them. There's video footage of all this, by the way. And you've probably seen it. If you haven't seen it, you need to go watch it because don't believe what the media or anyone else has told you about this. Go watch it with your own eyes. It's all over the place. Just go watch it. He's running down the street. Multiple people, a mob of people, are chasing after him. It honestly, in a legal sense, it does not matter why they're chasing him. Um, he is trying to run away from them. So whatever situation that people try to say he started the altercation, I don't think he did, but people try to say he started it and that's why they're chasing after him. Well, regardless, the person with, with the weapon is running away from the others. So he's obviously not trying to pose a threat to them. He's trying to get away from them. That's what Kyle was doing. He's running away. This is all on video. He's, uh, he's either, he'd been attacked a few times. Um, people had been swinging at him, trying to kick him, trying to hit him. Uh, he either, he stumbles, he might've tripped or I don't, I don't think someone hit him. I think he just stumbled and fell. But anyway, now he's on the ground and a crowd of people swarm around him. Uh, multiple people try to attack him. One guy comes at him with a skateboard and ends up being shot and killed. Someone else comes and attacks Kyle while he's down on the ground. That person gets shot and killed. A third person comes up points a gun at Kyle from just a few feet away. Points a gun at Kyle. Kyle shoots and, and doesn't kill that man, just shoots him in the arm. That man survived. But anyway, then people stopped attacking him. Kyle immediately went and surrendered to the police, told them what had happened. And this is one of the most open and shut cases of self-defense of all time, that Kyle was running away and then fell, and people swarmed over and tried to attack him, and he defended himself. One of the most open and shut self-defense cases of all time. Thankfully, it's all been caught on video. So there doesn't even need to be any ambiguity about what took place that night. And some people tried to say, oh, well, Kyle started it. That's what the prosecution's trying to say, that Kyle started a verbal altercation with this, with this mob. And uh, I don't know. That doesn't matter. It doesn't, it, even if he started it, that would not give them the right to hunt him down in the street and try to murder him in the street. That, that, I don't believe he actually started it anyway, but that actually does not matter legally. Doesn't matter. You know the old saying, sticks and stones, break my bones? 
Um, Kyle didn't start with the sticks and stones or with the gun that he was holding. Okay. Whatever happened, it was verbal before. And then they started chasing him and he felt threatened and he was running away. And so they're trying to say that Kyle was provoking this or whatever. And actually, that's not relevant. That's all I'm saying. And if you look at the history of Kyle and you look at the history of the men who were chasing him, one of them was a pedophile. One of them, that all three of them were criminals from their past. All three of the people who got shot and were chasing Kyle, they were all three criminals. And there were other people chasing Kyle who did not get shot. Some of whom were also criminals. So, I mean, all of them who were chasing Kyle that day had their own sordid pasts. Kyle had a clean past. I mean, he was just a kid. But uh, for based on his character, based on what he had showed up at Kenosha to do that night, I don't believe he was the one who provoked this whole thing. Uh, anyway, he should never have been on trial in the first place. This is one of the most clear-cut cases of self-defense that I've ever seen in my life, and thankfully it was all captured on video. Should not have even been a trial. This, But for the past few weeks, we've seen shameful legal, legal coverage of this sham Kyle Rittenhouse trial. Try saying that three times fast. I want to talk about how the media first covered Kyle's story, how the media lied, going back to a year ago, I think it was August of last year when all this happened, and how the media is continuing to lie today. So let's, let's start with the media lies last year, after this situation happened. Media started reporting, I, I, you know, again, it was so cut and dry self-defense. They were looking for any angle that they could to try to portray Kyle Rittenhouse as this bad guy who went there with bad intentions. So the, the, what the, some of the lines they kept using, they kept saying that he crossed state lines with a gun. That actually was not true. The gun was already in Kenosha. It did not belong to Kyle. One of his friends was letting him have it. In a legal sense, a 17-year-old can't go out and buy... Uh, it was an AR-15. Can't go out and buy an AR-15. But in a legal sense, there's nothing wrong with a 17-year-old carrying around an AR-15. That was actually all Kyle was doing, was carrying it around. So he did not... Uh, I don't know. There's this whole thing of that he crossed state lines with a gun. That's not technically true, and I'm not sure what the legal... Um, what would legally be wrong with that anyway? So people were saying, media was reporting that he had the gun illegally. There was this fact check done by Politic Fact saying that Kyle had the gun illegally. That actually turned out not to even be true. Uh, there, they did The prosecution did try to charge him with having the gun illegally, but the judge asked some questions about that charge and found that there was no legal statute against Kyle walking around with the gun. He had not bought the gun illegally. Someone had just given it to him. So it didn't actually violate any laws, and that charge ended up being thrown out. But PolitiFact, and then other media outlets were saying, well, PolitiFact says, as if PolitiFact is some kind of authority on, <laughs> on gun laws in Wisconsin. And they're clearly not, because that charge was thrown out. Because uh, if you just look at how the statute is written, there's no reason that charge should have been introduced in the first place. But you know how the prosecutions are and how the media is. They will throw everything at the wall just to see what sticks. So PolitiFact was wrong. Go back and see our episode on fact-checking the fact-checkers to realize why you cannot trust anything the fact-checkers say anyway. Okay, so the, that was wrong, that he had the gun illegally. Media starts reporting that he had no connect, connection to Kenosha. And I guess trying to portray him as this guy, as you're going to see in some video clips later, they're going to say, oh, he crossed borders. <laughs> you know, the state lines. I don't know that I've ever heard the media refer to state lines as, as borders before. 
They said, let's say that he crossed the border. <laughs> and yet when, when um, illegal aliens will pour in from the Mexican actual border, United States border, they'll say, well, there's nothing wrong with that. We shouldn't even have borders to begin with. But when someone goes from one state to another, all of a sudden it's crossing the border. I've never heard of someone calling, going from one state to another, crossing the border before. But that is what they're saying. You'll hear it later. That's what they're saying about Kyle Rittenhouse, that he crossed the border. And they say that he had no connection to Kenosha. Turns out that was wrong. That's where his dad lived. It's a, a city that he'd spent a lot of time in. It was only 20 miles away from where he lived in Illinois. So I live in a part of the country in the Midwest where, I mean, everything's 20 miles away. Uh, I mean, I live in one city, but to go to another city, it's, you know, 20 miles away. It's all kind of spread out. I don't live in a big city. I don't know how big Kenosha is. I'd never heard of Kenosha before this. So I don't know how big of a city Kenosha is. I don't think it's like a major large city. If it, if it is somewhat big, Kyle just basically lived in a suburb of that, 20 miles away. Not a, not a, not, that is not a big deal. But the media is all like, he crossed the border. <laughs> and then they also reported that he was connected to white supremacist groups. That was all false too. Uh, false in the sense that it's it's not literally true. There is a way that the media and the Democrat Party are trying to redefine racism and redefine white supremacy to basically mean everything is white supremacist. So I mean, in that I mean, from their new their new definitions of those phrases, everybody has connections to white supremacists <laughs> in 2021. Everybody, but um, they're trying to say that Kyle specifically did when when he did not. Okay, this is how the media lied about Kyle last year. Here's The Daily Show's Trevor Noah. That's a comedy program. Let me tell you how funny this is. <laughs> Just listen. Daily Show's Trevor Noah says, No one drives to a city with guns because they love someone else's business so much. They do it because they're hoping to shoot someone. Wow, so funny. But, I mean, honestly, that is how the media, and I'm going to consider Trevor Noah here, a so-called so comedian, but... Speaking as someone who's trying to report news right there, maybe you could say he wasn't even trying to be funny right there. Okay, so he's trying to report the facts. Well, he gets the the facts certainly wrong. He says Kyle just drove there hoping to shoot someone. I, Trevor Noah, I don't know where you thought you could read Kyle's mind. But why don't you just look at the video footage? He's running away from the crowd. Doesn't look like someone who just wants to shoot someone. He, he never shoots anybody. Until he falls to the ground, and then they still swarm around him, and still try to attack him. Then he finally shoots to defend himself. But up until then, uh, it didn't look like he was hoping to shoot anyone that night. Esquire reported last year, Esquire reported the Kyle Rittenhouse situation as an, an act of what could only be called terrorist tourism. Terrorist tourism. <laughs> Booming industry in Kenosha. Well, if we're going to talk about terrorists, what about the people who were actually there setting buildings on fire? Like uh, at least one of the men that Kyle shot was committing arson that night, setting stuff on fire. Is that not terrorism? Uh, a lot of those people drove a lot farther than 20 miles to go to Kenosha to burn stuff down. Are is that is that terrorist tourism? No, apparently only the the kids sitting on the ground getting attacked by a mob of protesters Apparently, he's the terrorist, according to Esquire. And then Guardian, uh, we mention them sometimes, and they're not even an American publication. Guardian over in the UK, they were whining that over here in America that Rittenhouse was being called a vigilante in the news coverage. And this is the definition of vigilante that the Guardian gives. 
They said a vigilante is a word usually used to describe an unauthorized person who takes it upon themselves to protect their community in the absence of legal authorities doing so. Okay. Well, I I guess in a sense, um, perhaps perhaps you could use that word to describe Kyle because that's what he was doing out there. He was to protect one of his friend's businesses. Legally, you cannot shoot to defend property. You can't shoot someone to, and kill someone to defend property. That, I, But Kyle did not do that. He was shooting to defend his own life. He was out in the street on the ground and people were attacking him. And he shot to defend his life. He wasn't shooting to defend property. But um, I, I could see why someone might call him a vigilante. I don't necessarily see what's wrong with that. The Guardian's whining about that. Then the Guardian says this. They, you know, they have that definition of vigilante. Here's then what the Guardian whines about. I'm going to read another quote from them from the same article. How quickly someone should be labeled a terrorist is a topic of huge debate. But one thing that Muslim extremists are rarely, if ever, called in U.S. media is a vigilante. <laughs> so they're whining that Kyle is being called a vigilante, which I think could technically be accurate. They're whining that Kyle's called a vigilante, vigilante, but they say, but Muslim terrorists are never called vigilantes. <laughs> like, okay, Muslim extremists, like the ones who go to shoot up a supermarket or a nightclub because they think this is their ticket to heaven. Okay, that is not taking it upon themselves to protect their community, Guardian. <laughs> that's not That's not the same thing as being a vigilante. That is what Kyle was there to do. That could never be a characterization of what a Muslim terrorist is doing because a Muslim extremist who kills people because he thinks it's a ticket to heaven, he has much different motivations than protecting his community. And I'm going to read this from Iona Presley. Now, she's a politician. She's a Democrat politician. So she's not technically a member of the media. I'm just pointing this out to show how Democrat politicians talk about Kyle the exact same way that people in the media do. Because the media is just nothing but Democrat activists. Here's what Iona Presley said. She tweeted this. A 17-year-old white supremacist domestic terrorist drove across straight state lines armed with an AR-15. He shot and killed two people who had assembled to affirm the value, dignity, and worth of black lives. That's how she describes it, which is not much different from how the media describes it. And the two people, it's, it's weird how she says, they assembled to affirm the value of black lives. They were Black Lives Matter protesters that got shot. They were setting stuff on fire. Is that how you affirm the value of black lives? Burning stuff down? <laughs> weird, weird way to show your support, if you ask me. Burning down black people's neighborhoods. Burning down black-owned businesses. That is apparently how the Democrat Party thinks that you support black lives, is burning down their property. Journalist Barry Weiss, um, I like this moment of honesty from her because she talks about what she heard about Kyle Rittenhouse last year during all this media coverage and how, she said this recently, how she's come to find out it was all baseless and lies. Very skewed interpretations of the account of what Kyle did. So here's what journalist Barry Weiss said, reading a quote from her. Here is what I thought was true about Kyle Rittenhouse during the last days of August 2020, based on mainstream media accounts. The 17-year-old was a racist vigilante. I thought he drove across state lines to Kenosha, Wisconsin with an illegally acquired semi-automatic rifle to a town to which he had no connection. I thought he went there because he knew there were Black Lives Matter protests and he wanted to start a fight. And I thought that by the, by the end of the evening of August 25th, 2020, he had done just that, killing two peaceful protesters and injuring a third. It turns out that account was mostly wrong. 
I mean, from what Barry Weiss said there, basically everything was actually mostly wrong. Uh, thankfully, some people are actually waking up to how the media lied to them last year about all this. They couldn't see it last year because they were too emotionally invested in the whole Black Lives Matter movement. They were too, you know, involved in that to actually understand. I mean, really, just they were frankly, they, they couldn't see through the media lies last year. But a lot of people are looking at the video now and seeing for themselves that about everything that they heard about Kyle was misreported. Joe Scarborough last year, on August 27th of last year, so a few days after this, Joe Scarborough, he's an MSNBC journalist. He is talking about, um, people keep talking about the violence in Kenosha. This is what Joe Scarborough says. They keep talking about the violence in Kenosha without ever mentioning the fact that the only murders and crippling gun violence came from white guys shooting black people and protesters. And then he tweeted a picture of Kyle Rittenhouse next to that quote, next to that tweet where he said that. He said that the, the only gun violence came from white people shooting black people. Well, the, he tweeted a picture of Kyle Rittenhouse there. Everyone that Kyle shot that night was white people. They were all three, all three of the people were white people that Kyle shot to defend himself from. None of the people that Kyle shot were black. But the media has actually been lying and making it sound like Kyle shot black people because he's this white supremacist. Race had nothing to do with this story, other than the greater context of the Black Lives Matter movement and the supposed police brutality against Jacob Blake that started this whole thing. But nothing about Kyle's specific situation had anything to do with race. He was a white man who shot three other white people who were attacking him. Now, if you were to support Kyle last year on social media, well, I'm sorry to say social media had already decided Kyle was guilty. They said if you support him on social media, you are advocating violence. So basically, if you were to tweet out that Kyle was a hero, some people were, you know, I'm not going to go so far as to say he was a hero. I think he had good intentions. He was out there trying to do good things. He was trying to provide medical services and clean up the neighborhood and defend a property. Now, <laughs> I can see why some people are going to call him a hero. I, I only hesitate to use that to go that far because when I see neighborhoods on fire, I think the smart thing to do is stay away from that. Okay? And yes, Black Lives Matter domestic terrorists are going to burn that stuff down. That is what they were doing. And the police were doing nothing. I, I acknowledge that. The authorities who were supposed to protect the neighborhood were not doing anything because they had been told to stay out of it. But as far as I'm concerned, the people who choose to live there and build their businesses in that kind of environment, if their business gets burned down, as far as I'm concerned, they actually brought that on themselves because they chose to live in this area run by weak liberals who are just going to let mobs come through and burn it all up whenever they feel like it. So if, if that's what you do, I mean, if that's your, that's your decision to do that, I'm not going to go risk my life or I'm not going to encourage other people to risk their lives to go defend your property if that's where you're going to build your property. It's not very smart to me. And <laughs> you knew as far back, at least as far back as 2015, when Barack Obama was president, that the government is not going to help support you if a mob decides to come through your neighborhood. I remember back in 2015 or 16, uh, the whole thing going on in Missouri, Ferguson, Missouri, Barack Obama totally did not care that Black Lives Matter was burning their own neighborhoods to the ground simply because they misunderstood a justified police shooting of Michael Brown. So anyway, we knew at least as far back as 2015, if you live in a Democrat-run area, 
your business is at the mercy of whatever mob is, is into this year. So all that to say this, I'm not going to call Kyle a hero because I don't think it's smart to even go out and stand around with a gun in the context of all this madness that is going on. Okay. Now, do I think other people should at least have the First Amendment freedom to call Kyle a hero? Even if I disagree with that? Of course, because I believe in the First Amendment. But Twitter does not. So if you were to say he was a hero on Twitter, they would delete your tweet and say that you were glorifying violence. GoFundMe decided to get into the fray. They would not let you raise money for Kyle Rittenhouse's legal defense. They'll let you raise money for all kinds of awful things on GoFundMe. But when Kyle, Kyle, Kyle comes from a poor family, you know, just to be frank, he comes from a lower class family. And I don't mean that as an insult, but his family was asking for help to raise money to pay for his legal defense. GoFundMe would not let you use that, their services to donate money to Kyle because they considered him a domestic terrorist. So Kyle was called a white supremacist, and he still is. He's still being called that. All the guys he shot were white. But the facts don't matter to the media. Media personalities and politicians, they all want to label him a white supremacist. And the only evidence that I found <laughs> that that he could be considered a white supremacist is that he visited a bar and took a photo. In this photo, he was making the OK symbol. And the media has been trying to sell this hoax the past few years that the OK symbol is racist. Let me just tell you real quick where that comes from because we're doing a retrospective here. So there's, just so that we can inform you of this. There is a troll on a, I guess like a website or social media thing called 4chan. I don't know what 4chan is. I mean, I don't, I don't know what the four means. I don't know what a chan is. I never typed 4, I never typed 4chan.com into my browser. I don't know what this website even is, but there's some guy on 4chan or a girl who is a troll in 2017. They said, they, and you can Google this. Like, you can Google 4chan OK hoax, and you'll see this for yourself. Some troll on 4chan says, hey, let's try to trick <laughs> the political left into thinking that the OK symbol is a white supremacist symbol. <laughs> they said this on in 2017. They said, let's try to trick them all into thinking that because they are so gullible <laughs> about the white supremacy claims that they'll just buy anything. So just to prove how gullible they are, Let's try to trick them into thinking that the OK symbol is a white supremacist symbol. That is where all this started. They said that back in 2017. They said we should do this to embarrass the media. It's a total hoax. Of course, the left bought right into it. <laughs> I mean, they they go all in on this OK symbol being a white supremacy thing. They actually got a Black Lives Matter got a truck driver fired last year because he was driving by one of their protests and they took a picture of him driving by. And they said he was making the OK symbol as he drove by. And then they reported this. They took his picture and circulated it on social media and got him fired. If you look at the photo, the truck driver says, I was cracking my knuckles. He said, I just had my hand hanging out the window and I was cracking my knuckles. All of a sudden, he gets a call saying that this company has, that he's been labeled a white supremacist and they're going to fire him. If you actually look at the photo... It's pretty clear he is just cracking his knuckles. Because for one thing, okay, when you make the OK symbol, you put your your pointer finger and your thumb together. He had his middle finger kind of wrapped under his his thumb. His middle finger. No one makes the OK symbol with the middle finger. But he's walking. He's driving by. He just said he's cracking his knuckles. Next thing you know, he's fired because Black Lives Matter decided 
that this is a white supremacist symbol because they're gullible idiots just like the media who think everything's white supremacy, even the OK symbol. So Kyle was making the OK symbol in a photo taken last year sometime. Now, I can think of some possible explanations for that. Maybe he was just making the OK symbol in the totally ordinary way that most people do. That's possible. Maybe he was doing it to troll the left because they actually believe this is a racist thing and they were calling him racist. Maybe he was just doing it to troll them, which is what I would do. (laughs) I would totally do that to troll the insane left-wing media (laughs) because they are worthy of our deepest scorn and trolling. So I would totally do that to troll them. And maybe that's all he was doing. That's their whole argument that he's a white supremacist is that he made the okay symbol, which is not even a white supremacy thing. It was just made to 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 trick stupid, stupid left-wingers into believing that. And they totally bought it. So thankfully, Publicly slandering an innocent person is not legal in this country. It's called defamation of character. So what I hope for Kyle is that he gets found innocent. And then then he totally goes fully Nick Sandman on these media clowns. And any politician who defamed him last year, I hope he totally goes all in on suing them, including President Joe Biden, who last year he used Kyle in an ad and put the word white supremacist right on a picture of Kyle. I hope he totally gets sued after... I hope that Kyle's found innocent and that he's totally sued for that because that's defamation of character. But I don't think that's going to be able to go through until and unless Kyle is found innocent. So let's talk a little bit about how the media has totally lied about the Kyle Rittenhouse case just the past few weeks um, as his court trial is going on, which we still don't have an answer to yet. I'll talk about that later, but we still don't have an answer to how that trial is going to play out. Right As I record this, it's Friday morning. And we're three or four days now into jury deliberations, and they still haven't came out with the verdict. So we'll talk about that. MSNBC reported this past week that uh, Al Sharpton, he's a black activist. He's a race baiter. I'm not going to call him a reverend because I I think the word reverend actually still has some meaning. I'm not going to (laughs) totally commit arson against the word reverend by placing it before Al Sharpton's name. Al Sharpton was kicked out of the courtroom Uh, This is what MSNBC reported, that he was kicked out of the courtroom at Kyle Rittenhouse's trial. Their headline, it said, Arrogant insensitivity. Sharpton slams Rittenhouse lawyer because he was kicked out of the courtroom. Well, MSNBC had to delete that tweet because it was totally wrong. Sharpton was kicked out of a courtroom, but it wasn't at the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. It was at a totally different courthouse this week in a totally different place in America that had nothing to do with Kyle Rittenhouse. Some reporter at MSNBC just made a stupid mistake. And they reported that it happened at the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. And, you know, it's just weird to me how all these mistakes the media makes, I could forgive them for a mistake here and there, but all their mistakes, they always seem to fall in the same direction. They always go towards something that helps the Democrats or hurts conservatives or what they perceive to be a liberal or a conservative cause. They always do something that will help the liberal side and hurt the, the conservative side, all their mistakes fall in the same direction. It's like if you came to a, a forest and all the trees that had been blown down, if they were all blown down in the same direction, you'd conclude that the wind was always blowing in the same direction. When all the media errors fall along the same lines, every fact that they report wrong is something that helps the Democrats and hurts Republicans. It really shows what direction the media's winds are blowing. I just mentioned that again, because if, if you're someone who doubts as to who controls the media in this country, you're, you're a moron. But there's just further proof right there. 
I'm going to play a clip here from Joe Scarborough, um, who I mentioned earlier got the facts totally wrong, and still this week is getting the facts totally wrong. Let's listen to some of the claims he made about Kyle Rittenhouse this week. So just generally, here we have a 17-year-old kid, underage, said he bought an AR-15 because he thought it was cool. That was a lie. He drove across state, had his mother drive him across state lines. That was a lie. He appointed himself a militia member. That was a lie. He goes around and he ends up unloading, what, 60 rounds, kills. <laughs> Another big fat lie. <laughs> it, 60 rounds? What in the world? No. There was no 60 I don't know exactly how many shots. It was just a few shots. It was just the people who attacked him. It wasn't... I don't think it was like more than 10 or anything. It's probably just three or four. I don't know the exact number. It would be so much easier to report on this case if we just didn't have to sift through so much media bullcrap just to get there. I mean, everything that they've been saying, the media reports that he crossed state lines with a gun. Fake news. They post that he violated a curfew. Fake news. They, they say that he unlawfully possessed a rifle. Fake news. It's all fake news. And... This case, I explained it at the beginning. That's really all you need to know to understand the situation. Because everything else the media is saying about it are just exaggerations and lies and stuff they made up in their imagination. And it would be so much quicker to talk about all this if we didn't have to sift through all their baloney. So while Kyle was on the stand, I think this was last week he was on the stand and describing the situation from, from his point of view and starts tearing up and crying. Actually, more than that, he starts having a bit of a panic attack. Um, if you, I'm not going to play the clip because it, it makes me too sad to hear it every time. So I'm not going to play it. But there's, there's, you know, you can go look it up if you want. When you get on the stand, he started crying. They had to take a break because he was just kind of freaking out talking about the moment when a mob of people swarmed him and tried to kill him in the street and how he had to shoot to defend himself. He is traumatized from that. And so, of course, that, that made him appear a bit more sympathetic to, to the public. And the media just couldn't have that. So a lot of like celebrities and and other morons started talking about how these were crocodile tears, that he was faking the panic attack. You can watch the footage yourself and see if you think he's faking it. But the media was, uh, people on MSNBC, people all over the place, were trying to talk about how these were not, these were not real tears, they were crocodile tears. And right after that happened, Merriam-Webster's word of the day or whatever that they put out, they tweet out, crocodile tears and give a definition for it just to just to give a little underhanded swipe over at kyle and that is disgusting that the dictionary is is now trying to attack a 17 year old now an 18 year old who's on the stand crying about the moment that a swarm of people tried to murder him in the street since that makes him emotional merriam webster decides to mock him by posting about, they post a tweet, the term crocodile tears, a superficial display of anguish, comes from a medieval belief that crocodiles shed tears of sadness when killing their prey. Ab, that, that, is, that is absolutely disgusting, Merriam-Webster. Whoever runs their account should be fired. Whoever decided, anyone who decided that was a good idea to tweet out and mock an 18-year-old fighting for his life, uh... They, I, I think they would all be fired if I ran the dictionary. If I ran the dictionary, for one thing, I would not run the dictionary. 
If my way of running the dictionary would be to not run it, to just leave it alone and <laughs> quit trying to change it all the time. But what we're seeing is the dictionary has decided to become a very political institution, an arm of the Democrat Party. Now, we've talked about that before. And it's actually, it'll be a, big, a major theme of next week. Uh, the next episode, God willing, the next episode is going to be called Words Matter. I just want to talk about the way words are being used and twisted by the media. That'll be next time. But anyway, we'll talk about that later on. CBS put out this headline and then they had to take it down. CBS, talking about Kyle crying, said, Kyle Rittenhouse testified in his murder trial yesterday, breaking down in tears as he told the jury he murdered two men at a BLM protest last year in self-defense. That was a that was a defamatory headline, especially if Kyle is found innocent. To say that he murdered two men. Kyle is not admitting to murder because murder is something that's an illegal killing. And right now it's being decided by the court whether his his killing was legal. He did kill the men, but he did not necessarily murder them. CBS has decided to go ahead and claim that Kyle murdered the two men. Murder, if you kill someone in self-defense, that is not murder. Murder is an unlawful killing. And what I hope and pray is that everything Kyle, well, I, I do believe 100%, it was a justified killing. But I hope and pray that's what the jury finds as well. Which we're still waiting to hear on. But anyway, CBS had to take that down. Because murder has not been proven. And they claim that Kyle murdered someone in their tweet. So-called, so-called uh, objective news CBS. But like I said, when they make a mistake, it always goes in the same direction, doesn't it? I'm going to play a supercut. This is courtesy of, of Gravion. Wonderful supercuts. If you ever just want to see like <laughs> a condensed form, if your heart can take it, of media malice, go to Gravion and, and look at what they post. I'm going to play a supercut from them of how the media has been reporting on Kyle Rittenhouse lately. Kenosha shooter Kyle Rittenhouse, he murdered two people, by the way. Rittenhouse is basically what you would have had in a school shooter. He's a 17-year-old kid. He shouldn't have had a gun. He crossed state lines to supposedly protect property. No, he was going out to shoot people. Kyle Rittenhouse, the 17-year-old vigilante. Kyle Rittenhouse, a vigilante. Kyle Rittenhouse, the armed teenage vigilante. A 17-year-old vigilante, arguably a domestic terrorist, picked up a rifle, drove to a different state to shoot people. Kyle Rittenhouse, a guy who's deeply racist, went with weapons to a Black Lives Matter protest, looking to get in trouble. He did. He murdered a couple of people. Rittenhouse, uh, the 17-year-old kid, just running around, shooting and killing protesters. You see the 17-year-old who was radicalized by Trumpism, took his AR-15 to Kenosha and became a killer. A white Trump-supporting MAGA-loving, uh, Blue Lives Matter, social media uh, uh, partisan, 17 years old, picks up a gun, drives from one state to another with the intent to shoot people. A 17-year-old boy mm. who drove across st state lines with an AR-15 and started uh, shooting people up, including a guy with a skateboard. Kyle Rittenhouse, who has killed protesters, unarmed protesters. Rittenhouse, a 17-year-old that went with a weapon into the middle of uh, protests uh, and then provoked people and then shot and killed them. Kyle Rittenhouse is the enemy. A boy from out of state drives up to the state with an AR-15 around his neck, shoots right and kills yeah. a couple of people, uh, shooting wildly, running around, uh, acting like 
uh, Rent-A-Cop, drove across state lines armed with a rifle to go and shoot people. What a dark, uh, dystopian scene where a 17-year-old boy is carrying around a rifle, running around and, and gunning down protesters. Oh, it's just so many lies right there. Shot with a shot someone who was just had a skateboard. Uh, yeah, someone who had hit Kyle with that skateboard twice and was coming in for a third time, and then Kyle shot him. That was Joe Scarborough again, by the way. How many times have I brought up Joe Scarborough on this program today? How Every time he's talked about this case from the very beginning, he's been getting facts wrong. It's like, okay, Joe, how many times do you have to get something wrong before you go and double check your facts or maybe just stop talking about it? Because every time you talk about it, people point out how wrong what you're saying is. At some point, don't you just kind of have a little bit of self-reflection and be like, maybe I should stop talking about it. Because every time I open my mouth on this subject, I don't have the details right. And I guess he's never going to go and watch the video himself or figure all this out for himself. He's just going to keep repeating the same lies again and again, no matter how many times people correct him. I mean, how many times? It's like Ilhan Omar talking about the Jews. Every time she talks about the Jews, she says something offensive, and then she has to come out and apologize for it. She's a Democrat politician, I think, from Minnesota. Every time she opens her mouth about the Jews, she says something uh, bigoted and then has to apologize later. It's like, Ilhan, how about you just stop talking about the Jews? Like, if every time you say something about them, you're like, then you have to apologize for it. And she's like, oh, I didn't realize what I said was offensive. Maybe just stop talking about the Jews. But she can't help herself. She just has to keep talking about the Jews all the time. <laughs> That's like Joe Scarborough with Kyle Rittenhouse. He can't stop talking about it. But he's just going to keep getting stuff wrong every time. But I don't know. That would only, I guess that question only applies to a journalist who cares about his credibility. Joe Scarborough does not. So uh, I was at the gym last week. Or I, this was Monday. I was at the gym. And um, Monday was the closing arguments. from The the prosecution basically took up the whole morning with, with closing arguments. And then the defense had all afternoon. And I was at the gym in the afternoon. And I was, they have like, you know, a dozen TVs up at the gym. So you can see what every, some of them are news stations. You see what they're talking about. And so Fox is on and Fox is showing what the defense is saying in the trial. Over on CNN, they're not even airing the defense's closing argument. They just have a camera showing an empty table. Wait, I get, this was also the day that the infrastructure bill was getting signed. And um, uh, that Joe Biden got this thing passed. We'll, we'll talk about that, I think, in a little bit. So they just had, they were just showing an empty table waiting for for Joe Biden to come out and sign a piece of paper. And I know that's important too, but there has been this recurring theme of, in this case, and also on uh, the Derek Chauvin case from earlier in the year, there's been this recurring theme that the left-wing media, they only cover the the prosecution of court cases, and then they don't really want to show you what the defense is saying. They just want to show you what the prosecutors say. So they basically end up only showing one side of the trial and not the other. And they're trying to do that with Kyle pretty obviously. They're not they're not showing what his defense says. They're just letting the prosecution have all this airtime to talk about their imagination of of what Kyle was thinking and and what, you know, trying to paint him as this murderer. But they won't show what they won't show what the defense says in Kyle's defense. And I noticed this just being at the gym. I keep, I keep looking at the TVs, waiting for them to, 
to show something from the defense that's going on. I'm watching it on my cell phone, streaming it from like YouTube, listening to what the defense's case is to defend Kyle. But CNN was not interested in showing the defense. So here, speaking of this prosecution though, the, the prosecutor in the Kyle Rittenhouse case has been this complete joke. Um, I want to play a clip here of, this is the prosecutor talking about the man that Kyle killed, okay? I want to play a video clip of him talking about the man that Kyle killed that night. Listen to this. He just happens to stumble into it. So what does he do that night? Oh, let me tell you all the awful things Joseph Rosenbaum did. He tipped over a porta potty that had no one in it. He swung a chain. He lit a metal garbage dumpster on fire. Oh, and there's this empty wooden flatbed trailer that they pulled out in the middle of the road and they tipped it over to stop some bear cats and they lit it on fire. Oh, and he said some bad words. He said the N-word. So he's, he's talking about... <laughs> he's trying to make the, the jury sympathetic to the arsonist and, and, and pedophile and all that that Kyle shot that night. <laughs> trying to make him look like just this innocent, <laughs> just this um, peace-loving, innocent guy. It's like, whoa, come on. Who among us has not committed some neighborhood arson here and there, <laughs> right? <laughs> Let he who has not lit a dumpster on fire cast the first stone. But he's, he's trying to make the, the so-called victim, the man that Kyle shot, the, the pedophile and criminal, trying to make him look like this innocent guy. And trying to make Kyle look like this big meanie for, you know, <laughs> stopping the, the so-called innocent man's reign of terror on the neighborhood. The prosecution's case is literally a dumpster fire. Think about that. The prosecution's case against Kyle is literally a dumpster fire. That is what they're going with. I love it. And so the, the prosecution, their case, I don't know what the jury's going to decide. The case... Um, has not gone well for the prosecution. And so since since the prosecution kept embarrassing themselves and looking bad again and again, the media has decided to start attacking the judge so that if Kyle is set free, they can try to say, oh, it was the judge's fault that he skewed the case. And there's been lots and lots of headlines. USA Today had a picture of the judge and put up how not to be a good judge. And, and they're all going after the judge because I guess they're looking for some excuse for if Kyle is found innocent. And not just going after the judge, they're they're trying to intimidate the jury. The judge actually, um, the judge this week kicked MSNBC out of the courtroom for trying to intimidate the jury because an MSNBC reporter was following the jury bus. And the jury has been brought in on a bus because there's so much pressure on them that if, if you know, Black Lives Matter is saying that if they don't get the verdict they want, if Kyle's not found guilty, then they're, they want to burn down the neighborhood again. And they're out there saying this with megaphones in front of the courthouse. And the jury can hear that, which to me thinks makes me think this should be considered a mistrial because it's trying to influence the jury. And they're the court is trying to keep the jury's identities a secret because it's supposed to be anonymous when you're on a jury. So an MSNBC reporter is following the jury bus <laughs> and says, I wasn't trying to intimidate them. I was just stalking them. <laughs> And uh, anyway, that's actually against the law. There's, it's like jury tampering or something like that. So it's actually against the law to do that. So MSNBC 
has been banned from the courtroom for the duration of the trial. <laughs> Do you remember the media's concern about crossing state lines earlier? <laughs> then MSNBC is crossing state lines to tamper with the jury. And, and that's probably the only reason the jury deliberations have dragged on for three days now. The jury is probably terrified to set Kyle free because they know that the media will try to vilify them. And they know that they're going to have the whole left wing and Black Lives Matter and Antifa and all them coming after them if they set Kyle free. They know the media is going to try to vilify the jury. But if I could just encourage them to be brave. I don't envy their position that they're in, but I encourage them to do what they know is right because this is such... Well, they're not supposed to be listening to podcasts. So, and if they were, I don't think they'd be listening to mine. But if I could talk to them, I would just encourage them to be brave and do what they know is right. Kyle should not have to pay with his life for the media's lies. And at the time I'm recording this, we don't know the outcome. Okay, by the time you're listening to this, you will probably know the outcome because I think it's going to come out soon. But right now, we don't know the outcome. And the jury's been talking for three days. And it could be any moment. I have my phone in front of me, ready to light up and tell me. Even if I were to record this right now and it lit up, I would go listen right now to what the jury announces. But that has not happened yet. So, just waiting to see. Just waiting to see. Um, it's super frustrating to me that I have to talk about all this without knowing the end of the story yet. But it is Friday. I need to go ahead and get the episode out. So, I'm thinking if the jury hasn't decided after three days, I'm thinking it's probably just going to end up being a hung jury. Um and that they might have to redo the whole trial over again. We'll hopefully know soon. And I'm going to say this. If the jury comes out and says Kyle is acquitted, finds him acquitted or innocent, exonerates him, and then Black Lives Matter breaks out in another round of rioting and all that, any deaths that happen, that is the media's fault for those deaths. It is the protesters' fault, too, for doing it. But, I mean, it's the media's fault for creating this atmosphere where they lie again and again and create this atmosphere that convinces people that a white supremacist murderer has been set free. If anyone believes that, it's because of media lies, okay? You know the classic example about First Amendment freedom that you can't yell fire in a crowded theater? You can't just yell fire in a crowded theater and cause a stampede and expect that to be covered under free speech. I mean, if the if there's not really a fire, you know, if there's no fire and your so-called free speech is a lie and it results in a stampede or like the deaths of innocent people, you cannot say, oh, my First Amendment protects me from calling out this lie and causing a stampede. You can't do that. You can't yell fire in a crowded theater. Classic example. Well, I'm not sure why it's considered free speech if you lie about Kyle Rittenhouse cause riots and looting, and then people die as a result of that, as happened last year with the riots and looting, if you cause anyone's death from your lies, I'd say their blood is on the media's hands. I don't think they should get a First Amendment protection for that. I am a First Amendment, almost an absolutist. I love the First Amendment. But I understand the, the rationale that you can't speak lie like fire in a crowded theater, cause injury or death, and expect to get away with it on the basis of the First Amendment, okay? It doesn't protect that kind of lie that causes bloodshed. And if the media's lies cause more bloodshed in the future, they should be held accountable. They should not, anyone who told lies about Kyle Rittenhouse's case should not get off scot-free. It's my sincere hope that Kyle will be set free and fully acquitted. 
And I hope that after he's exonerated of these stupid charges, that he sues the socks off every media outlet and politician who mischaracterized him. Okay, let's, let's talk about something else for a little bit before we have to go today. wanted to talk about that infrastructure bill thing. I think I'm going to save that for next week. It actually really goes well with my whole uh, words matter theme for next week. So I'm going to save that. I really want to talk about it. I had a lot of stuff printed off about it. Let's save that for next time. For right now, let me talk about um, the New York Times for a minute. If you remember from last week's episode, we were talking about how a journalist was rated, journalist from Project Veritas, and I, that would be considered a conservative media, I think. Um, they do report against conservatives sometimes, but Project Veritas, I think it's more of a right-wing media thing. And they get these ridiculous scoops. When I say ridiculous, I mean it's like amazing what they can get their hands on. They had this supposed uh, diary from the daughter of Joe Biden, which had a lot of disturbing content. And anyway, they had not even reported on it, but the FBI raided them, took the diary, took some of their classified material, and then... Right after I put that episode out, New York Times starts reporting leaks that they got from the FBI about what all this private stuff that Project Veritas had. New York Times starts reporting on it. Information that they received directly from the FBI. So the FBI is raiding conservative journalists, leaking that, class of, leaking that private information to the New York Times, which the New York Times then reports on. Remember what I was saying last week about how the the FBI, besides just should be disbanded, that it has an unhealthy relationship with the media? And here you see it again. They do the Democrats' dirty work. They go after a journalist because he's, a, I guess, more of a right-leaning journalist. So they go after him, take his personal property, then tell the New York Times what his personal property contains. And who investigates the FBI? Because they're the ones who do the FBI investigation. They're the ones who do the investigating. They're the Federal Bureau of Investigation. They're really just the Democratic Bureau of Investigation. But I mean, they, that's, that is what they are. Who investigates them whenever they do this illegal crap? And then Twitter allows the New York Times to post their articles about the leaked materials about Project Veritas. Twitter allows them to post about that. Do you remember last year when the New York Post got some classified material about Hunter Biden off of his laptop and it all turned out to be true and they reported on it and Twitter took all that down before the election and they said, oh, well, you can't post classified material on Twitter. We're going to protect people's personal information. You know, they never applied that standard to Donald Trump when someone would get a hold of one of his tax returns and leak that. Twitter never had that standard then, but all of a sudden for Joe Biden's family, oh, we don't allow, we don't allow the classified material to be posted. And then here, here we are a year later, Project Veritas's personal, uh, James O'Keefe's personal information being posted. By the way, Project Veritas is in a lawsuit right now with the New York Times. I think it's about defamation. I don't remember exactly what the, what it was about. But Project Veritas is in a lawsuit right now against the New York Times, which has not been concluded yet. And then the New York Times gets all this classified info about Project Veritas, 
Probably some of their legal info too. Probably spying on their legal communications, I would bet. And the FBI just comes in and does their dirty work. And the rest of America just, you know, ignores it. Doesn't seem to care very much. But I want you to know about it because we see it. So I wanted to mention all that. And um, I want to talk about one more thing. I want to do a bit of a behind the headline and talk about this thing that, <laughs> that was reported on CNN here recently. It's actually pretty funny. Before I do that, I just want to go ahead and mention, if you want to get in touch with us here at Fake News, a fiery but mostly peaceful podcast, send us an email to fierybutpeaceful at gmail.com. If you see some fake news, send it our way. If you get it to us first, I'll, I'll give you credit for it. Um, and if you want to stay in touch throughout the week, we're on Twitter, at Fake News Weekly. We could use some more Twitter followers there. If that's your thing, if I can't do an episode one week, I'll just post about it there uh, if you're wondering where the episode is. But um, that's where you can get in touch with us throughout the week, and that's where I I find a lot of fake news on Twitter, so I'm it's kind of a handy platform for me to use to do this podcast. And uh, I'll mention also, but really quick, if you like Bible studies, or if you just really dig the sound of my voice, I do have another podcast. It's called Cross References. It has nothing to do with news or current events, but um, it's what I consider my main podcast. It has new episodes on Mondays. Just go look up Cross References on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get this podcast. You can also find my other one. And um, okay, let's go ahead and do a Beyond the Headlines segment, and then we'll close down. Okay, so today's comes courtesy of CNN. CNN this past weekend uh, put out a flurry of negative news about the Joe Biden administration and specifically Joe Biden's relationship with Kamala Harris. Now, here's how the media works. Um, Fox News is one of the conservative media outlets. Virtually everyone else are the Democrat media outlets. Okay, here's the one way you can interpret the news. When Fox News says something negative about a Republican, okay, about their own side, you can probably bet that it's true. The thing is, they don't they don't really go against what is their own side unless it's like really, really blatantly bad. Now, when you see a negative headline about uh, liberals on Fox News, it's probably exaggerated. So you probably don't need to go. It's probably not quite as bad as what you're reading. But when they report something negative about a Republican, you can take that a bit more seriously. And the opposite is, and same is true with CNN. They're more on the liberal side. So when they report something negative about people on the liberal side, you can you can trust that a lot more than whenever they report something negative about a Republican because they report stuff negative about Republicans every day. They'll almost never say something positive about a Republican. So when CNN has a series of articles about bad relationships between Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, you can bet that there's a lot of truth to this because they would not be reporting it unless there was really a major thing here. So it's probably even worse than CNN is is even saying. Here's what CNN put out last weekend. Uh, so I'm just reading some headlines here. Harris struggles with her relationship with Biden. Born out West Wing aides have largely thrown up their hands at the vice president and her staff. White House goes into damage control mode after reports of dysfunction in Kamala Harris's office. Vice president's team tries to distance her from fraught situation at the border. Okay, so they, they put out a series of stories, mainly about Kamala Harris and uh, Joe Biden's 
approval ratings have just been going downhill, especially the past few months. I saw one to like yesterday, it was 36%, a new low for him. But earlier this week, it was reported that he was at 38%. And Kamala Harris was at 28%. She was 10% less even than him. She is not a popular politician. Some people pretend to be excited about her. No one's excited about Kamala Harris. She doesn't have a good stage presence. She's known for being a... Um, she's known for being a uh, difficult person to work with. This was true when she was a senator out for California. This was true when she ran her presidential campaign. There were reports back then about how difficult and not very much fun she was to work under, that her campaign advisors and her campaign staff were just basically miserable. There were stories about this back then. And so it's no surprise that now that she's in the White House as vice president, <laughs> that her vice presidential staff is not having the greatest time working under her. Well, that's totally consistent with everything else that's been reported about her historically. So um, some people from Joe Biden's side of the White House, uh, some of his aides re anonymously, anonymously reported to CNN that they're frustrated working with, with her department, that they're not getting along very well. And I know I said it's a beyond the headline. I'm not going to go super deep. I'll mention a couple things. I don't want to go super deep because I've been talking so much today. I'm tired of talking. But um, they, they, they're, they're frustrated working with Kamala Harris. And then Kamala Harris's team is responding, I think, also anonymously, responding that they're frustrated with Joe Biden and how he handles presidential, um, how he handles his presidential administration. They're saying that, that he is trying to put the blame on her for all of his failures. He's had plenty of failures, and I'm sure she's played a part too. Like with the Afghanistan thing. That was a big debacle. But when Joe Biden announced about his decision to pull out of Afghanistan before it all went so sour, when he announced his decision, he gave her credit, and she took credit proudly that she was the last person in the room talking this issue over with him, encouraging him to go ahead and pull out of Afghanistan. So she stepped on that rake her, herself. But now they're blaming, they're blaming Joe Biden's camp, saying that, oh, he sticks all his failures on her. It was a failure of both of them. And he was still the one who ultimately made that decision. But before it all went sour, she was totally fine to take credit for that decision. He put her in charge of the border crisis. But she doesn't go down to the border. She doesn't do anything to fix the border crisis. And it's been a terrible year down at the American border. Uh, Kamala Harris's aides told CNN that Joe Biden's not doing enough to prepare her to become president. And we'll touch on that a little bit later, but prepare her is the word that they used. <laughs> it sounds a lot like there's a plan in place for her to actually be president, not just in the case of something happening to Joe Biden, but that that is actually in the cards as something that they're planning to happen. Um, which, by the way... I think they made it pretty clear that was their plan even before even before he was running for um or even before he became president. I'm trying to remember when this clip was. I'm going to play a clip here. He he actually outright said if he and Kamala Harris disagree about something, Joe Biden outright said that he would pretend to have some sort of disease and step down from the presidency and let her take control. 
when I say that, does that sound like, oh no, he wouldn't say something like that, <laughs> right? Does that sound like too extreme that he would outright say something like that? But I think he said this back, this might've been after he was elected, but before he was installed as president, or maybe this was just during the campaign. He outright says this though. He outright said, if we disagree about something, I will pretend I have some sort of sickness and step down and let Kamala take over as president of the United States. He outright said that. I want to play a clip from that because I know you don't believe me that he would say that. I want to play that and let you hear it for yourself. Yeah. But all kidding aside, it's, it's a matter of the thing. We are simpatico on our philosophy of government and simpatico on how we want to attach, approach these issues that we're facing. And so I don't have, and when we disagree, it'll be just like, so far it's been just like when Barack and I did. It's in private. She'll say, I think we should do A, B, C, or D. And I'll say, I don't, I like A, don't like B and C. Mm -hmm. And let's go, okay. But, and I, like I told Barack, if, if, if I reach something where there's a, a fundamental disagreement we have based on a moral principle, I'll, uh, I'll, 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 I'll develop some disease and say I have to resign. And if you could see Kamala's eyes whenever he tells the, the reporter this, if you could see her eyes, she's like, what are you doing right now? It's like she, like he's giving away the whole ball game, and they're not even in office yet. Well, um, so that that actually happened, and now Kamala Harris, her aides are complaining to CNN that Joe Biden's not doing enough to prepare her. I think he honestly does have intentions of preparing her to take over before long. I think that I think that is his plan is to let her become president before long. And so as far as preparing her, he's probably just sick of dealing with her because she historically has always been a nasty person to deal with. He's probably sick and tired of her and doesn't want to work with her anymore. And so if he's kind of shut her out, I would say that's probably why the <laughs> why he's not doing enough for, to prepare her. And then, of course, they insinuate in the CNN piece that Joe Biden's not helping her enough because he's racist. Um, if you remember... She was calling Joe Biden a racist back in the presidential debates, like in the primary debates over a year ago, about two years ago. She was calling Joe Biden a racist back then. And then, of course, she's delighted to be picked as his vice president when he becomes the nominee. But I mean, she was fine to call him a racist back then. She was fine to call him a sexual assaulter during the primary process, saying we should believe his accuser who accused Joe Biden of sexual assault years ago. She was fine to throw him under the bus back then. So um, anyway, that's the CNN, the, some of the articles they had about her. And I'm just going to tell you, I think that they're probably, there's a lot of truth to them because it's coming from CNN reporting negative things about the Democrats. That is one way that you can know it's probably true. And White House did go into damage control mode after all this. Jen, Jen Psaki tweets out, she's the uh, press secretary for the president, and she tweets this out. For anyone who needs to hear it, the vice president is not only a vital partner, partner to President Joe Biden, but a bold leader who has taken on key important challenges facing the country, okay? And then Jim Psaki's gonna name three of these key important challenges, three key challenges that are priorities of the current administration. <laughs> Listen to this, from voting rights, to addressing root causes of immigration, to expanding broadband. <laughs> I love that of the three supposed important things that Vice President Harris has been assigned to work on, 
<laughs> One of them is broadband. <laughs> yeah, that's right. She said broadband, okay? I, <laughs> broadband. I know it's one of the most important priorities that you've never heard about this year is broadband. Okay, so that's one of uh, that's one of those things that Kamala Harris has been entrusted with. All right. Now, what does all this mean? I want to give you some political predictions, and political predictions they don't. I mean, hey, they don't mean anything. Okay, they really don't. I, I say this because I want to kind of get it on the record. I want to see how right I am about this. That's something you should always do when you hear people who make political predictions. You want to track it and see how often people are actually right about the things that they say. All right. So, and, and I think I'm pretty good. Um, like I predicted back a long, long time ago, I predicted Joe Biden was going to pick Kamala Harris. Basically, ever since she dropped out early on in 2020, like she dropped out in like January of 2020, I think before there had even been a primary vote in any of the states. She dropped out and I was like, well, she's getting ready for Joe Biden to pick her for VP candidate because it just kind of made sense in a lot of ways. It just made it made sense. I didn't think it would be a good idea to pick her, but I just thought it made it made superficial sense. And Joe Biden ran a very superficial campaign and all he was doing was whatever it took to get elected. Obviously, he did not make the right choice. (laughs) And he is aware of that now, clearly, based on these CNN articles that he did not make the right choice in who he picked for vice president. But it did make sense in a superficial way. So I totally called that a long, long time ago. Um, okay, let me uh, let me give you some predictions of what I think is actually going to happen. I want to start with one. This Some might say this is kind of outlandish. I think a year from now, Kamala Harris is going to be president. And I'll say why I think that's the case. Now, some would say that's outlandish. I'll, I, but here's why I think, here's why I'm, I do think it will happen in the next year. I was one. Of, I was not one of the people who said Joe Biden was going to drop out in his first year. Some people did not think he was even going to make it for a full year of being president. Now, I always said that he would because I always thought it would be too embarrassing if he could not get through at least one year of being president before he conked out. A lot of us have thought he's not going to make it all four years for sure. He might think he's going to make it all four years but a lot of us have thought, nah, there's there's no way this guy makes it for four years being president. The Kamala Harris was always going to be president at some point. I'm going to predict it'll happen within a year before the 2022 midterms. I do think Biden will get his full year of being president. I think they want to at least get him through like his first State of the Union. And then, like he said, he'll do it. <laughs> he'll say he has some sort of disease and, and fade away um, like he's already admitted he's going to do. But I think they want him to get that full year. But then looking ahead, the Democrats are in a jam for 2022 because there's, by all accounts, a big red wave coming, a big voter surge of Republicans, a lot of independents swinging toward the Republicans, and a lot of Democratic enthusiasm bottoming out because Joe Biden has not only, he's not only in the party in power being the president. He's done a really crummy job this year, and his approval ratings have sunk. And I think the rest of the Democratic Party, they're jumping ship. They don't want to go down with him. So they are looking to get shellacked in the next election, the midterms of 2022. Their only hope, I don't think they're going to retain the House and Senate no matter what, but their only hope to not get hurt worse is they have to do something to create some sort of cultural moment. Okay, something that really jazzes up their base to get out and vote. And what in the world could that be? 
I mean, they're trying stuff like infrastructure and and more massive spending that is just going to drive up more inflation. So they're and and they've gone all in on this wokeness stuff, the CRT in schools. This stuff is not going to help them. They need to do something to create some kind of cultural moment. What could that be? Well, I think it's going to be, look over here, we have the first female president, as well as a black woman. First black female president. First female president, period. That would be a little bit... Of, I don't. I think she's too much of a dud for that to actually work. But I'm saying I think that's what they're going to try. They're going to try to push this idea... Oh my gosh, look at us. We've got the first woman president and you need to get out and and vote in the midterms or she's not going to be able to do anything for these next two years of the term because she'd only have about, you know, two, two and a half years left by the time she takes over. They're going to say she won't be able to do anything if we don't have the House and Senate. So I think that will be their push. I think they're going to try to get everyone excited about a female president that's their plan. I'm not saying their plan's going to work. I think it'll, it'll blow up in their face. <laughs> I mean, I can't wait. But I'm saying I think this is what their plan is. That their that her agenda can't get anywhere unless they keep the House and Senate. And I'll go ahead and call this too. When Kamala Harris becomes president, I, I believe her vice president that she'll appoint is going to be Pete Buttigieg. And the reason I think that, it seems that the, the Democrat Party and the Biden administration wants to push him as this like up-and-coming star. You can tell they're excited about Pete Buttigieg. Um, that the, He's the Secretary of Transportation, which, by the way, have you heard about <laughs> the supply chain crisis? <laughs> I mean, the, the, this guy has been put in charge of transportation for the country at a time when, is this the first time in my life where you actually notice how bad the transportation par- department is doing? And not only that, he was gone for two months. <laughs> for the past few months, he's not even been present. Um, so he's not off to a great start. But yet, the Biden administration is pushing this, pushing this guy. They're trying to generate headlines around Pete Buttigieg. I mean, that he has kids now, um, that he's going out and making these speeches saying that roads are racist. You know, he actually said this the other day. Why are they pushing Pete Buttigieg so hard? Why, why a secretary of transportation? Like something that's a pretty, who was even the secretaries of transportation? I think the last one was Mitch McConnell's wife um, that that Trump put in. and But I never saw any headlines about her, really. But I mean, a lot of these, a lot of these secretarial appointments that presidents do, a lot, not a lot of them are big newsmakers. Secretary of State is a big newsmaker. Secretary of Defense is a big newsmaker. Transportation is not usually one that you see in the news. I've seen Pete Buttigieg in the news a lot, making a lot of speeches. They're making him a headline guy. I think they're trying to push him to the forefront because when Kamala Harris becomes president, she wants to appoint him as vice president. I'm just going to go ahead and predict that now, that he's the guy that she wants. Then they can, and it's because he's gay. Then they can make a big hoopla about first gay vice president, all that stuff. So, I mean, I think that's that's the, the long-term plan which I think we're going to see over the next year this come to fruition. But hey, I'm just throwing this out here so we can see how right I am. Let's just see what happens. And then I'll mention this too, (laughs) Nancy Pelosi. This is probably a pretty easy prediction. A lot of the rats are jumping ship right now because they know it's going down in 2022. I think Nancy Pelosi will be one of the next people to announce she's going to retire and not seek re-election for her seat. She's got a real easy seat to win being from California. I think San Francisco is in, in her district. 
over there in California. Um, she's been Speaker of the House on and off for years. I think now that she's not going to be Speaker of the House anymore after 2022, I think she's ready to call it quits officially. I mean, she's been Speaker of the House since like the Civil War. Okay, she's already like 105. So it's a good time to retire if you're in Nancy Pelosi's shoes. And she's going to want to go out on top. I think she's going to retire. And I want to say this about 2022 also. I think this is going to be the year that wokeism implodes. Because the the Democrats did get shellacked in these last elections uh, in the past month in November. They got shellacked in that election over how they're pushing some of this race and this wokeism stuff and the, like the transgenderism stuff going on in schools. They've been pushing that so hard. And yet what they've shown in the weeks since that election, when they realized how bad that is for them, they've decided they're just going to keep going all in on that. <laughs> they're not going to scale that back. So I think they're going to keep pushing this into 2022. I think what we're going to see over this next year is this is the year that the wokeism agenda implodes where the American people finally say enough is enough, okay? And and they think having a, a black woman president and a gay vice president would help. It's not, okay? Electorally, this gambit will destroy them, and I can't wait. So that's my prediction over the next year. I'm not going to make predictions like all the time. I just wanted to go ahead and get these on the record because I think we're going to start seeing some of these changes before you know it. So um, this past week, I've been thinking about the, the left, they control so many institutions in America. I tried to write like an octopus and make a different tentacle. Each I, couldn't, I don't think I could get to eight. Here's what they got. They got the two branches of government. This is what the left controls. Things that are not neutral or independent in the way that they should be. And they do have two, two branches of government right now. They have the mainstream media. They control social media. They control our university system. They control our education system for like kindergarten through high school. They got their claws in that. They control Hollywood. They control the unions. They control most of our major corporations in this country. They're trying to get a real foothold in religion. I've seen a real rise in, uh, in you know, progress. Christianity is our dominant religion in America. And I've seen progressive Christianity really try to take control over the past few years. So what I'm saying is that the, the left Leftism controls a lot of the major institutions in this country. The one thing they don't control is the judicial system. And that drives them crazy. That's why, that's why they're talking about packing the court all the time. Because then when the court doesn't go their way, like the Supreme Court, when it doesn't rule the way they want to, well, then they want to delegitimize it in the eyes of the public. So that's why they often talk about packing the court or how we need to... Um, uh, depoliticize the court, by which they mean swing it to their control. Uh, that's why they attack the judge in the Carl Rittenhouse case and try to say, well, if this case doesn't go the way that we want, it's the judge's fault. By the way, in the middle of recording this, I did stop for lunch. And uh, <laughs> on my lunch break, on my lunch break, Kyle Rittenhouse was set free. H. Rittenhouse not guilty. As to the second count of the information, Richard McGinnis, we the jury find the defendant Kyle H. Rittenhouse not guilty. As to the third count of the information, unknown male, we the jury find the defendant Kyle H. Rittenhouse not guilty.
As to the fourth count of the information, Anthony Huber, we the jury find the defendant, Kyle H. Rittenhouse, not guilty. As to the fifth count of the information, Gage Rosecroix, we the jury find the defendant, Kyle H. Rittenhouse, not guilty. So, happy ending to the saga we've been reviewing today. Couldn't have gotten a better ending to that. Not guilty on all accounts. Thank you, hallelujah, amen. Kyle Rittenhouse is a free man. But has he received justice? I would say no. Not yet. Not yet. Kyle Rittenhouse will not receive justice until he's sued all the people and gotten some major payouts or settlements or whatever you call them till he's gotten some major bucks off of these people who defamed him over the past year. And uh, after the past couple hours after my lunch break, <laughs> seeing how they've reacted, he's got more money coming because <laughs> they're not stopping, even though he's been declared innocent. They're not stopping. So I think hopefully by the end of today, we see some more lawsuits announced from him, but we'll, we'll just wait and see. So Kyle, enjoy your weekend. Everyone else, enjoy your weekend. Uh, the left won't be enjoying their weekend. They're probably going to spend it attacking the courts. Let me just to, to bring it back to that for a minute. The left does not control the courts like they control everything else. I'm not even saying the courts are conservative, by the way. I think courts are the most independent institution that's left in America. But being independent and fair, that's not good enough for the left. So they're going to attack any institution they can until they do control it. That's their game. We're, we're just calling it out. So expect to see a lot of that probably for the weeks ahead, too. A lot of going after the court system. Because it's the one thing that is putting a stop to some of the left's authoritative control right now. I'm going to go ahead and, and wrap it up. I hope everyone out there who doesn't work for the media has a great weekend. Thanks for listening to a fiery but mostly peaceful podcast for this week. Uh, just remember, if you hear anybody out there telling you that they're excited about broadband... That's just fake news.